For February 15th, 2021, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 659. I'm turning the crank! I'm turning the crank! It's Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. I'm Matt, and that's Pete. Pete, how are you doing? Matt, I can't see you there. Where are you? <laughs> what the, Pete, Pete, is that, I hear you. Is that I you? I hear you. I can't see you, but I hear you, Matt. I'm doing good. How are you doing? Oh, I, well, Pete, you know, I, fine under conditions of quarantine here, but, you know, we, uh, during this week, we actually lost power for about uh, 30 seconds. I don't know if they were doing some work in our building. It wasn't like a, a neighborhood-wide thing, so I think maybe someone was just, like, resetting something for our building or some work was being done and it. It went wrong. No, I don't, I don't, I work at a desktop computer. I don't work at a laptop. And, uh, the, um, so the power just, you know, cut the power to the computer. It went black. All my unsaved work was gone. I mean, there wasn't really much unsaved work, but like, you know, had I been like writing a symphony and not, uh, not saved it, it was all gone. It was all gone. My, my unsaved symphony will never be saved and never be, never be finished. And I, and in that, that 30 seconds between, you know, hearing the, like the whoosh of the air conditioning, uh, start, like winding down and the whoosh of it, it, um, starting back up again, Pete, I experienced an agony, the likes of which I'm not sure, uh, you know, even those who have suffered most in this life can understand. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was very brave, Pete. I was brave, Bra- right. braver, braver. Brave. Yeah, exactly. Bra- braver in many ways than uh, than a soldier fighting in a war, you know. And that uh, uh, that's the obvious comparison. <laughs> yeah, it's, of course, the war. It's a war on darkness. I've declared war on on darkness. At least the darkness of of my screen. I don't know if you've had any similar experiences recently. Why, Matt? Thanks for bringing it up. I appreciate it. <laughs> I did. On Wednesday, I had a crazy blackout experience, if only because of the confluence of different things that were happening at the same time, which uh-huh. I guess is what a confluence is, which is I want to give a quick shout out to the Rising Phoenix Gallery in Michigan City, Indiana, which is huh. a an art gallery that does glassblowing classes and other sorts of art uh, activities for, for families and individuals, only because there is a, uh, and I won't call it out by name because I didn't run this by him first, but one of the folks who uh, works at that gallery is my dungeon master, is my online dungeon master for my evening Dungeons and Dragons games. And he's a great dungeon master and he has a whole homebrew world, right? And so Wednesday nights is my night to play Dungeons and Dragons. And so I dial in and, and we're going to, I mean, it's not over like a phone modem or something like we use an online platform. And in this particular night, I had another meeting I had to go to for like a civic organization that I'm part of. And then I finished that meeting and I knew I was going to be late. Right. And my little team is, you know, in the process of attempting to save the world. So I shouldn't just leave them. Right. And so it was first like, oh, man, like, what is my character going to do while you guys are off? Well, he oh, he can go do this other thing while you guys are doing that thing. And then he'll meet you later and we'll push the whole thing back an hour. Right. And okay, then uh, then I'll join up with you after you have uh, dealt with the sanitation problem in the city, and I've dealt with the hag that's eating children in this part of the city, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And we'll we'll reconvene, and then we'll go forward in the next part of our quest. Was she just was she just tragically misunderstood? Well, that was much my theory. I've not been able to confirm the theory because <laughs> because of what happened, right? Which is that uh, something happened that cut my power out and cut the power out for 
a few thousand people in my general area. So maybe a tree or a transformer or something went ha- something happened. I mean, we're we're covered in a lot of snow and ice right now. This is not entirely unexpected. So the power goes out, and of course that means that the world remains unsaved, right? Because I cannot uh, I cannot go to save it, and I get filled with this desperate sense, right? I finished my my civic meeting. I finished the work that I had to do for the town, and and now it's like, oh my goodness, I need to get into the fantasy world to save my friends and be with my friends right. and live up to my obligations there. Yep. And I can't because I have no electricity. Right. And, and so what, what proceeds is a MacGyverish attempt to play online Dungeons and Dragons. It involves me uh, pulling the, I have a battery that I use to power the clock in my garage gym. So we have a sort of recharge our, our old garage didn't have power. And so we had a clock in the garage, and since it didn't have power, we had a rechargeable battery that we hooked the clock into. Huh. And and so, yeah, I mean, and it's, it's it's a good battery. I recommend having a battery like this. You could bring it with you tailgating. You could play you can play music off of it. You can do all sorts of, I mean, I could, you don't want to run a hairdryer off of it, but like, you know, you can run a pretty reasonable, I think I recommended it actually, one of our overthinking gift guides as a, as a great item to buy. And it was useful here. So first, I attempted to pull the battery and connect it to the router because the internet was out and we are in kind of the, not the middle of nowhere, but there were no other Wi-Fi signals around. And, uh, and so I tried to plug the router in, but the router was turning all orange and clearly didn't like this source of power. So that wasn't working. So then I plugged my phone into it and I attempted to run my phone as a hotspot and take my laptop, which had some charge in it and go through my phone into the platform and the zoom call as you do. And, and it was as, like you do. And like, and, and keep in mind, I'm doing this in utter darkness. I have like a tiny mag light that's three inches tall that I have balanced on my desk and everything around me. I mean, I, I have a big window by the side of my desk here. It's about maybe four and a half feet tall and about, you know, eight or nine feet wide that just stares out at trees where there are deer and coyotes and all sorts of nonsense. So like it was utterly dark everywhere except for my little pocket here of attempting to reach out to the fantasy world. And I'm like, I'm like, bastion right near the end of the never-ending story tucked under the sheet uh and uh or whatever it is blanket whatever it is he's using when he's attempting to name the moon child spoilers but uh that doesn't work i then call in using the phone feed function on my phone and attempt to play dungeons and dragons without any dice or or anything like that that i have access to uh and it's just i keep cutting out and cutting back in and i feel like i've committed all these social sins and eventually the power comes back on and i'm able to hook back into it um and then we go to a noble woman's house to attempt to sell stolen furniture which like you do when you're saving the world uh and said so uh so so hey hey, pete how are you doing are you enjoying our uh dungeons and dragons game tonight yeah i'm really enjoying our dungeons and dragons game tonight roll deception I'm proficient in deception. I'm actually not. I actually play a character who is very vocal and talks to a lot of people, but as a negative charisma modifier. So I deliberately make him a bad conversationalist. And I, I really hope he doesn't become too tedious to deal with, but, but he over talks everything. Um, and I greatly enjoy it. But at any rate, I just thought it was interesting because he should, should have a podcast. We should. He should. Yeah, exactly. Oh, him and his bros, they just talk about everything. It's exactly what everybody wants to hear about. Unedited, <laughs> just unfiltered. You know, it's it's uh, your smart halfling friends on the Internet, right? It's great. <laughs> but the point was, like, I remember blackouts, right, when I was a kid. And when the lights went out, one of the first things I went to is, oh, we need candles, right? Because when I think about what a blackout used to be, it was, oh, you got to put the candles on, right? Sure. Um 
and maybe you can read your book by candlelight. But there wasn't really I mean, you couldn't watch TV and but there wasn't really a huge difference in the things that you could do. It, it was a fun little thing, right? You're not going to like cook a full dinner as as aggressively as you might. You're not going to play Nintendo. But at the same time, there was, you know, the people that you were around and talking to most of the time were around you and talking to you. Yeah. And if so, it, oh, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. And it, like, if it were, were nice weather and you happen to have a grill out on the, uh, you know, in the back, like, you know, like my mother had a big, uh, big medium sized Weber kettle growing up, you know, and we would barbecue things on it. And so you'd, you'd have barbecue that night and it would be like, uh, you know, yeah, exactly. It would be, uh, you'd try not to open the fridge unless you absolutely had to. Uh, oh yeah, for sure. To keep sure. the that cool will... air in, keep the cool <laughs> air in, Pete. <laughs> keep the cool air in, indeed. So yeah, so that that was uttered as right, right as well as. Uh, <laughs> sure, I remember um, that. I mean, I don't remember it being a like a super common occurrence, but it it does seem to me that I I remember more blackouts from childhood than I do in my adult life, right? Like that, that it, it seems to me that they've gotten somewhat better at, you know, the black blackouts coming for, for no apparent reason. Like we've had a number related to natural disasters like wildfires, which I suppose it's disingenuous to call them natural disasters, given that they're largely the result of global climate change and very bad uh, uh, sort of urban like housing, you know, <laughs> policies. But like, uh, but still, you know, there are disasters, and that many people suffer from these things, and and uh, very often the power goes out, and so that's uh, and in fact, power lines are are implicated in in some of these, uh, you know, some of these events anyway. So like the the, but it seems like there it's bad, like like a, a wildfire in in California is like an infernal conflagration, uh, which I suppose are two words that mean the same thing, and the like the uh association with the blackout is that like it comes at a moment of you know existential reckoning like it comes at a moment when like lives are in danger uh and so it's not like um it's not like a normal just a normal thing now i never found out what caused my blackout did you find out what caused yours oh no 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 it oh. lasted an hour i it could be anything yeah it's uh ice, I, I mean ice on yeah. some power lines you know what? yeah probably some sort of frost giant busting out of jotunheim or whatever uh, not or Niflheim, i suppose it could be any of the realms coming uh, coming after us so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, i mean it? i was just glad it was sure it was cool because there was because our phones still had charge and so we could check the website of the power company and call into them and let them know, hey, you know, there's been a blackout. There's an automated line where we can notify them of it. And then a record of all the people who called in comes up and they they estimate how many people are affected and they give you an estimated time to recovery. And they ended up getting it back up 45 minutes sooner than they said they would, which is probably why they made the projection so far into the future. Because if they said that it was going to take 15 minutes and it took 45 minutes, we would all be angry because they said it would take two hours and it took, you know, 45 minutes. We're like, like, oh, this is great. That's such a lesson in in everything in life, right? (laughs) Like just in everything in life. I don't know. I've done a fair bit of work in client services. And at this point, I just multiply the estimate by three. You know, like right. I take my best guess and then I multiply it by three <laughs> and that like, you know, um, anyway, sorry, I'm, I'm, uh, no, but I mean, that's a, more than that just being kind of a necessary a compromise intellectually. It makes sense because the things that you don't expect to happen, you can't expect to happen. 
if you expected them to happen, they wouldn't be things you don't expect to happen. This is why, right? like, I'm I'm all for criticisms of Donald Rumsfeld on on the grounds that he was a garbage person, but like, uh, he was absolutely right about one thing, and that is <laughs> there are no known glasses frames, man. Those were solid glasses frames. <laughs> there are no knowns. Those are the things that you know that you know. There yes. are known unknowns, and there are unknown unknowns and uh yeah it's gonna take there isn't there a law that like you know everything is going to everything is going to take twice as long as you think uh it will even if you are aware of the law and adjust your estimate uh, <laughs> adjust your estimate accordingly um yeah i mean i feel i i don't know i feel like to a certain extent life experience is is experience of ignorance and different different strategies for managing and mitigating it uh rather than actually getting better at at anything <laughs> in in you know in a solid way um so what did you get the candles pete did you go get the candles i mean no you, ca- well, you we can't don't do go candles right? oh yeah i mean i guess i keep uh i keep flashlights around but um mm-hmm. i do not have a solid like battery rotation strategy i hate to say so you know that's probably something that i need to lock down i mean so one one of the things that so sort of jumping in and back and forth out of remembrance of things past right to go through our various madelines uh i recall superstorm sandy right where uh i mean that's what people call it in retrospect i guess you know it hits the east coast um it's referred to as superstorm because the people who named storms were hit hard by it as opposed to the other storms (laughs) Uh, also because it wasn't a hurricane right it caused a ton of damage and uh and I worked for uh, a, a large global integrated financial services firm at the time. Mm. And and whenever some sort of big thing happens, as, as a lot of people have figured out by now, you know, when some sort of big bad thing happens, the businesses of the world that have public faces scramble for a way to connect themselves, if they are among even the partially good ones, right, scramble for a way to connect themselves to some sort of solution or expression of sympathy, right? Mm. Because you don't want to be connected to some sort of act of callousness or because undoubtedly, if you have a large organization, somebody is doing something callous and terrible at any given time. uh, That's another thing to consider. And so if you want to be sort of on a net positive, you have to take your shots at doing the right thing when it when it avails itself, uh, especially from a kind of PR perspective. And, and you could be cynical or less cynical about that as you so choose. But one of the more interesting experiences I had uh, related to corporate PR was finding out during Superstorm Sandy, everybody's rushing to try to figure out what's going to help because whole towns are flooded out. People are, you know, in the streets. And uh, I mean, we're talking about the New York City area Right. And there's lots and lots and lots of people here who are not at all prepared for a hurricane level event. And so what are you going to do as you know, are you going to like, oh, the ATMs are have are are dry. Right. Like, like <laughs> what, what are you going to possibly do that's going to be at all helpful? And what they realized was like, oh, the thing that people really appreciate is when. People show up to the bank because they can't sh- uh, they can't cash a check or they can't they can't make an online payment right? Because their computer isn't working. Their phone is out of batteries. Uh, they've been out of power for several days. They don't know how to pay their mortgage, right? They go to the, they go to the bank. I'll go as far to say as the bank and, and they and the bank lets them charge their cell phone. Mm. Right. And they're like super grateful, right? That the bank lets them charge their cell phone. And there's this moment of like, it's this, it was really mind boggling moment. It was like, Oh my God, we helped, right? Like we actually did something that helped. 
Like, let's not lose this, right? And so the word goes around and it's like, everybody put out a power strip, right? Like put out a power strip by the desk. If people show up, offer to charge their cell phones because that's something that they actually need right now. And we are, we don't know what that. Wow. At the, <laughs> at the branches, at the retail location. Yeah, that's yeah, amazing. Yeah. 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 And it's like, we just, we honestly like, we could try to accommodate all the other things that people are doing. But the other kind of thing is it's a huge company. And so what can you do in a way that everybody's going to agree on it on really short notice in the context of, uh, of, a, of a disaster? Now, where I work now, which I won't talk about too much, um, it has a different relationship with catastrophe and disaster and kind of more directly associated with it. But in that situation, there, was, there wasn't a particularly special relationship with disaster that we all kind of went to work expecting, uh, right? And so it was really interesting that that we, we looked at what people were doing, right? Saw this thing people did that we didn't expect at all. And then we're like, oh my God, oh my God, like do this for everybody. And then act really proud and smug, right? Like, oh, we did this great thing for everybody. And isn't it great? Everybody loved it, which is nice. You know, you pat yourself on the back or whatever. Don't expect anyone else to care. But like, you pat, you know, it's good to have something nice to talk about. But, but I think the, the big takeaway from that was, and this was 2012, right? This was mm. when the world ended. So, um, and so, and we're all in extra innings at this point. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's, uh, was, was, uh, people these in this day and age, right? People really need to have their cell phones charged. And when people don't have their cell phones charged, it creates a whole bunch of different problems that you didn't have. And again, that was, you know, nine years ago at this point, but you know, four years prior to that, this wasn't the situation. Sure. Right. Cause, cause people weren't transacting so much of their lives, through their phones and their social relationships. Yeah, that, I so, mean, actually, when you yeah. say four years prior to that was the inflection point, because that was the the sort of the release of the iPhone in, yeah. I guess, 07, right? And that, oh. so that, that was the kind of the, the inflection point at which like a smartphone became, you know, the, a, a device that people wear, the, the wear, wear. Yes, I mean, wear often, like, but carry that, you know, mediates their contact with, with a lot of people and processes, uh, in the world, many of them, Many of them very crucial. And you like you joked before about how you call or you didn't even joke. I'm going to make a joke about uh, something you said before, which is that you called into your Dungeons and Dragons game using the phone function of your phone, which is, <laughs> you know, funny that you should have to specify that. But I understand it entirely. Like it's a phone, right? Like, of course, it has a phone function. No, no. Right. Like there are all kinds of devices. You know, the iPod touch, right, had had no phone function, but I'm sure people just would call it a phone. I th- I'll, you know, I'll bet these kids today uh, just call a phone like a handheld computer, you know, with a, with oh, yeah, a yeah. touch uh, touch interface or something like that. That's exactly what they say. Like, please, hey, where's my handheld computer with touch interface? Yeah, exactly. Where I can't That's, find it. <laughs> so, you know, what the the Nintendo Switch? No, not that one. <laughs> I don't want your that. Your Revolution Pad? Come no, on, you're not even trying. No, it's not. It's not that. <laughs> Do you mean your your AirPods that uh, have actually sophisticated <laughs> processing? power and a touch interface built into the the headphone no dad that's not the one are you, that oh, I mean. are you talking about the refrigerator of things <laughs> no, <laughs> no. The refriger- the re- i already tweeted from the refrigerator thing saying <laughs> that i can't find my handheld computer with touch interface <laughs> i mean you know i don't i don't want to be man that yells at cloud but it, it it is just it is interesting that there is a an experience of blackouts that has all sorts of levels that i feel like don't have a conventional wisdom associated with them because the present is too present to imagine right it's uh it's like we haven't we haven't written 
the modern history of blackouts, as far as I know. Uh, maybe people have, and I just haven't seen it. But I, I don't know. Is it that they don't happen frequently enough in places where we hang out or or what? But I felt like, at what, or maybe it's just the the childlike reverence that comes from hearing other people tell you how to do things when you don't know. Uh, it's like, oh, well, they, they sort of know how blackouts work. And uh, and I'm sure for my grandparents, like, well, we didn't have electricity growing up, so I don't know why you care about it so much. It's but, fine. But, yeah, yeah, I mean, you, you think about it. Like, I, I, I would put money just uh, knowing nothing the way the way I know now. Like, managing and mitigating my ignorance. I would put money on our infrastructure in general, and by our, I mean the United States, which is a big place with like huge variations in in how uh, infrastructure is designed and deployed, and maintained. But like uh, that, that it's not all that great. You know, yeah. like and and that like it's actually pretty vulnerable. It would be pretty vulnerable to like maybe three big things going wrong, you know, not e- not even and set aside all kind of like malicious actors like that, that like it's it's amazing that it's not more a part of our lives, I think. But you, you, you know, you think forward to like the what the like the Elon Muskification of the smart grid or something where people are like generating electricity with solar panels storing some of it you know in the form of like gigantic batteries in their house and like selling some of it back to the back to the utilities who are redistributing it right like it's you know you can imagine a future in which the worst effects of something like a blackout could be mitigated you know if we had a uh, you know, if we had a system that combined kind of the best features of of like centralization and decentralization, and you know we were willing to invest um invest uh money into the you know boring long term unsexy work of of building and maintaining infrastructure instead of like buying Dogecoin or something like that. <laughs> Do you have a problem with Dogecoin? No, it's that? A HODL. <laughs> it's, a... it's, it's funny how on one hand you were approving of the Elon Musking <laughs> of energy, but, but apparently you don't approve of the Elon Musking of buying random assets as <laughs> memes because Elon Musk came out very strongly in favor of Dogecoin recently. I'm not sure I if I, I'm not even sure if I, uh, uh, you know, approve of Musking in, <laughs> really in any in any uh of its connotations but you know there are some of these ideas even though he has become identified with um you know should not be entirely associated with that one particular uh individual but yeah so like i i don't know i was that that like the idea that especially in pandemic you know especially when we're when we're kind of staying home a lot um you know and especially like in the the modern day like this this you're in my relationship the fact that we maintain such a close friendship uh with you know kind of regular these weekly regular check-ins uh at a minimum you know is entirely down to the the kind of the communications technology and a blackout completely destroys the ability to do that right like and okay i i do have a phone it does have a phone function it also has you know a mobile wireless internet um but it in the event that like a blackout is widespread enough to take down, you know, cell towers in range, um, it's uh, it's useless. It's a brick. My phone is, Dad, I can't find my brick. I actually have an emergency device as as an as enthusiast for for pop culture in all its forms. We have an emergency device in the garage, which is it's a gray box with little kind of green stripes on it, and it has a crank on it, and you turn the crank. And if you turn the crank really vigorously for about five Wait, minutes, and then that you snap the plank, 
You knock no, the you, boot. You, you, you turn, you turn the crank vigorously for about five minutes, and it just starts giving you WandaVision spoilers. Because <laughs> it's like, I, how am I supposed to function without my WandaVision spoilers? I don't understand. Uh... So, <laughs> so you get what you're missing, right? Which is important. Uh... <laughs> the... Um... <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, uh, I you know thinking thinking of like in the blackout, I I like to stand there in the center of the house and just bellow at the top of my lungs. Let there be light. Let there be light for however many hours it takes for the lights to come on because I'll be right eventually. Like if you just persistence, I'll be right. Um, uh, eventually. And it, it does make me think of sort of the first chapter of, of Genesis and like the idea that like light does a couple things, you know, let there be light. And there was light in the darkness that, that sort of darkness is the natural state, you know, and that light is the sort of divine, um, uh, thing, thing that is supplied to the darkness, um, through you know divine agency to like make the darkness not not so bad um and then like that that light organizes time you know the idea of a blackout um itself implies an idea of time if you had nothing else but a blackout you could like derive some idea of time because there was a time where there wasn't a blackout and then there was a time when there was a blackout you know like that an event happened and you can like talk about sort of distinct even in a universe that is just light or darkness you know you can talk about a distinct state of the universe and the fact that that state changed you know implies some sort of some sort of conception of time and then like the day gets organized to uh and the night gets organized and so like the procession of light and darkness naturally right like is is a thing is a is a a process that sort of organizes space and time and i kind of i i like thinking and we're getting like way into the weeds theoretically here but like thinking about um thinking about blackouts blackout a blackout is inappropriate darkness right it's it's darkness when there should be uh it's darkness when there should be light you know and it's like uh and and uh the lord said let there be light (laughs) and someone said uh there's no light have you tried plugging it back in is there there, you know and that that like that some some part of it you know I don't know, some part of the, aside from just a, maybe a, a more kind of childlike fear of the dark, you know, of what could be in the dark, of unknown things, of scary things, of sort of physical threat, um, that like, uh, of like separation from your parents, because right, as a, as a, as a child, you are sort of put down to sleep and like left, you know, uh, there in the dark, right? Like that, all, all those associations, setting, setting those aside. I think one of the scary things about blackouts is, is that it's, that it's, it's darkness when there should be light. It's darkness when we sort of rely on light or when we sort of want to expect light um and that like it it you know uh it calls into question our dominion over uh the uh the beasts of the field and every creeping thing that that creepeth upon the earth right like the the we are supposed to fill the earth and subdue it um but the i you know the idea that like oh our control is actually not 
as secure <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. as as we thought is a more I don't know is a more kind of adult fear of the dark uh, I think um, you know that that reflects some uh, reflects some overthinking I I suppose I don't know are you uh, how how is your dominion over over the beasts of the field and every creeping thing that creepeth <laughs> upon the earth doing. Uh, I mean, are you familiar with bittersweet? <laughs> have I talked about that in the podcast yet? Is I don't it, think I have. Have I? No, I, th- I, I, I thought we, we we were going to talk about clearing brush in your. Uh... That's what it is. Yes, oh, got it. Bittersweet. Bittersweet is an invasive vine. It has North American and Asian varieties that pose different problems, but the Asian variety in North American. Uh, ecologies is an invasive species that literally chokes trees to death it climbs up the tree and winds around it and squeezes over the course of what years and eventually kills the tree and it's it's all over the place on my property which i didn't realize and it leaves these bright red berries that uh are um uh, are attractive to birds and that was what causes it to spread around right and so uh, I had not realized that this was an issue. We have this little bit of property out here that's protected wetland, but um, it also apparently is being assaulted by all these invasive species that I suppose I'm now the steward of and have to kind of fight off. Um, it's and so not protected yeah. from this chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> well, Runs on electricity. Not, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Runs on electricity, right? Like, uh, um I don't have I, – I actually went through – we've talked about this on the podcast, whether I was going to get a chainsaw or not, I think, right? Yeah, no. Good chainsaws make good neighbors though. So yes, that's, exactly. You know. Exactly. So so I would say that that there is a degree to which feeling like I have a certain mastery over my immediate environment, even to the extent that it confounds my attempts to do it, uh, you know, there's this sense of get something wrong. Experience is a tough teacher. It gives the test first and the lesson afterwards. <laughs> get something wrong now. You'll get it right later. That kind of thing. But then abruptly being, you know, alone in the dark, uh, you know, it's uh, it's a different it's a different situation. It really is. It's uh, you definitely get a sense. It wasn't entirely scary, I think, but it was definitely um, it definitely makes everything feel different. I guess what when I was younger, we used to go down to the Outer Banks of North Carolina, which I think I've talked about on some occasions for family vacations and uh we would go to Corolla. If you've ever been to the area, Corolla used to have this this group of wandering wild horses, these deep red horses, and uh, they would come right up to your house. And so sometimes I would have the bed on the first floor by the window, and there would just be these horses like right outside the window. That's terrifying. And- <laughs> It's all dark and you hear them, right? <laughs> like, and there's just, I, or, 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 or when you're staying somewhere on the edge of a, uh, a sound or an estuary and you hear the frogs, right? And you step out and you look out in the darkness and there's just choruses of hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of frogs. It is, that's an astounding feeling to sort of step out there and to look out into the darkness at the end of the driveway and to know that you're not that far away from not a huge expanse of water, but expanse of water. And then just to hear that kind of, you know, I don't want to call it, say it's Phil Spector because nature isn't quite as cruel, Werner Herzog notwithstanding, but like, that wave of sound coming at you. It, I mean, it feels cliche to say it's humbling because you're, you know, you still bring whatever you were bringing with you into that experience of the dark. And it would almost be, it would be easier if it were humbling, if it immediately situated you into a position where you're contemplating 
the the bigness of everything else and the smallness of yourself from a previous situation where you're very deeply invested in all of your responsibilities and efforts on all of the things in your life that you're supposed to control and, and keep moving right but it, it said it's this cognitive dissonance it's it doesn't it doesn't turn it ironically the switch doesn't turn on and off when the lights go out right like part of your mind is still living in that world of artificial light and kind of carries it with you and then or maybe i should say with me and not project this onto you as if this is a universal experience but then the world around you is challenging that and there's this tension and lighting the candle is sort of this there's this weird like ritual of like oh yeah my my ancestors dealt with this before i did this is level one which is you know lighting a candle in the dark instead of cursing the darkness um but but that also is a coping mechanism. It's just there's just there's just this conflict. And the things I think the most interesting thing about blackouts is the unexpected results that happen when you're dealing with the unexpected reversal of, of these situations and circumstances. You can't play, but you also can't work. So that introduces an interesting question as to what you're going to do with your time. And that's not as always unpleasant, right? Sometimes it's pleasant, sometimes it's unpleasant. Sure. Well, there there are like games, there are like things, you know, I remember being being a child and being like, you know, having like board games or something like that when we couldn't play video games, you know, and like but board games were not a huge part of, of our life outside of this. But like there were all these fun activities that, that we would do, but that we would never do at any other time. <laughs> like if we could do literally anything else, we would, but. <laughs> What was your what was your blackout board game? Oh, I mean, probably I think we had Parcheesi, you know. Yeah. So it's not we're not talking about post-German board game renaissance. Board no, games. no, 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 no. We're, talk, we're talking. Because those would be impossible in a blackout. Oh, where's <laughs> I can't find the little yellow wheel. It felt like I have five of them, but I need six, and one of them is falling under the table. Uh, we've been playing a lot of Wingspan lately, and they have all these little eggs and little foods for the birds, and and uh, and all the little dice, and and everything is very tiny and precious. And I think I've talked about it on the podcast once or twice. And yeah. the idea of playing that in a blackout is just preposterous. Yeah, I couldn't. Right? It's just, couldn't do just it. too many little things. You wouldn't even want to. You wouldn't even want to move. Like we're we're just gonna sit here at this kitchen table <laughs> until the lights come on because like we're we're gonna knock some tiny piece of pla- tiny like you know attractive piece of plastic yeah. onto the floor where the baby's gonna crawl and discover it and it's gonna get you know at the the very least uh, you know chewed into oblivion. So like when the veil of hyperreality that is supported by artificial light at night falls we just look around us and just feel the encroachment of all the many cones of dunsher that exist <laughs> in our lives <laughs> like just forming like a bird cage of shadows over our heads right <laughs> all of the different the different various exotic precious uh artisanal board game pieces that uh that that we once mastered but now master us because in the dark we are afraid of dropping them because something could choke on. <laughs> you, um, the you know, Pete, I have another like connotation or another kind of set of associations to to blackouts. Sure. Um, tell me, okay, t- tell me what this reminds you of. What what do you think when I say this? And blackout. <laughs> Well, right? I'm just thinking of the night of the show. It's the night of the show. <laughs> it's the night of the show, right? You were a theater. You're a theater kid, so like, oh, yeah. you know, uh, the that like um, the idea of of like blackouts as a you know as a device um, 
for for doing for like doing things, doing stage business, right? Moving scenery or people on and off, uh, delineating again, kind of like delineating time and space. You know, um, a, a change of of set, you know, a change of of act of time of you know whatever that like is done in this in this blackout and like there were we had we my my particular crop of theater kids had all kinds of like you know received wisdom about how to like you know navigate your way in a blackout you know like well if you close your eyes a little bit backstage before you come on in the blackout your sight will be okay and the light from the exit sign or the like you know the stage manager's like uh, blue lamp will you know have enough uh have enough light for you to be able to to make your way like all kinds of like you know folk wisdom um folk wisdom along these lines but i mean w- w- again like like one of the interesting things to me about this is the sort of like the appropriateness angle, right? The appropriateness of light or the, the appropriateness of, uh, of darkness, you know, and that like, um, you, it, it becomes appropriate because you feel like there's a consciousness that's organizing it that, you know, where the blackout, the blackout is not arbitrary, um, Mm. in this, right. In this, uh, situation the the blackout is not like just the product of a mistake or something it's a product of you uh you know kind of going going along for the ride um with a bit of it of entertainment and like to to a certain extent it's also like an opportunity the fact that that certain people have to like move in the blackout move their bodies or move scenery or move you know dangerous heavy things on on tracks or wheels or hydraulics or what what have you like the you know that it's an it becomes sort of also an opportunity for um an opportunity for virtuosity you know mm-hmm. that like uh oh you're good at you know doing doing the blackouts or if you work on something you know if you work on a piece of theater for a long time and like you know you can sort of walk your track uh in you know in a particular play like with with your eyes closed as it were and then you know you can do the uh uh you you can do the blackouts um blackouts piece of uh piece of cake but like you know i don't know the idea of um then I guess the last thing about this is that it sort of preserves it. It is kind of a weird way. It's an artificial means of sort of preserving illusion, right? Cause like what, what the blackout saves you from having to see, you know, is people and stuff being moved in and out of view, right? It, it sort of goes away as if by, um, as if by magic and there here there's like a child childlike association to it to like object permanence and peekaboo and um you know uh, all this kind of like much more uh regressed type of stuff that like uh it it becomes like a it becomes like a kind of a kind of magic but like it's magic in service it's it's magic in service of hiding from you the um you know, the, the theatrical magic that's, that's going on. And so that's, I, I think it's sort of important that it has to do with darkness, right? And that like, um, you know, that it touches on sort of, uh, it touches on like a, a, a child's horror, you know, or a, a kind of danger, um, thing like that, because what it's protecting, you know, because, because it has like a protective role and that, and what it's protecting is a sort of, you know, uh, still more fragile, um, illusion that, 
you know, may or may not, uh, th- I don't know that may or may not bear more scrutiny. I don't know. What do you think? What do you think that blackouts on stage, theatrical? So, blackouts. so the, the idea you're saying is almost like the strength, the, the, the strength, not just of the blackout itself, but of that sinuous division between the light and the blackout lends a sense of import to the events that are framed by the lights going out. Yes. Is that, yeah. It also, yeah. I mean, it also sort of like it, it, I, I think that like, uh, it, it is preserving a, like a, a theatrical illusion. Mm-hmm. And so in, in preserving this thing that is not true, right. That like, uh, you know, that these characters just sort of appear and disappear. Right. And that we're not in a theater. We're watching, you know, we're watching sort of life unfolding in front of us somehow. Right. Um, that it's, that it's important in order to preserve that, uh, preserving that illusion is hard. Um, you know, because the, you know, uh, the natural thing would be the sort of the, alienation condition where you realize no we're actually not you know uh in a in a i don't know what name name your favorite play we're we're actually not in a pawn shop in in american buffalo right like we're <laughs> we're uh, uh in a in a small stuffy storefront theater in in chicago and by the way my seat is not all of that that comfortable like that's the natural state that's what would happen to the illusion if it were not tended and the fact that you know um the illusion needs to be tended necessitates recourse to to you know the kind of the mumbo jumbo of childhood to like a uh, a uh, very you know kind of old magic um that ha- you know that has to do with the provision of of light and darkness uh, i mm. guess is is the other the other part of what i'm saying interesting i like that idea i like that idea what are some of the other magics of childhood that get implemented to lend the uh to lend that sense of kind of being the small thing looking at the big thing that that adds solemnity and power to imaginations what uh i mean i I think that the sort of management if you think of like a game of like keep away or of like sort of you know a lot of a lot of games with children just because like there aren't a ton of dynamics that you know especially young children can understand you know imagine like imagine uh so like a lot of games with children boil down to at some level like i'm gonna get you you know right um and so it's about the the you know the kind of the management of tension and release um or the kind of you know the the or like uh or keep away some version of keep away like uh, you can't have this oh okay here it is you know have enjoy the dessert you know and that like um i think these are definitely uh sort of theatrical tools these things are are you know deployed to um different kinds of effects uh in the provision of of entertainment and and then i guess i don't know i I, I also think something about, um, there's something about safety, you know, there's something about like conveying the, in, in the way that you convey a sense of safety to some, not even a child, to someone who's very scared, you know, or to someone who's had something bad happen, someone who's been in an accident, you know, you would sort of like give them a hug and like tell them that like, okay, they were safe now, like everything's going to be okay. And the same way you would, you know, with the child who, might need that sort of reassurance more regularly. Um, there's something, and, and I, you know, I haven't sort of theorized this fully, but there's something about being in good hands, right? With a piece of entertainment, uh, being in sort of 
being in sort of trustworthy hands. Um, do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. That like, uh, that like sort of, even if this is difficult or, or at times unpleasant, I, you know, I trust that I'm being like guided through something, you know, um, right. The way you, the, the way you would teach a kid to ride a bike, like with, with skinned knees and with frustration and tears and like all of these things. And yet, you know, despite all that, you would sort of guide them, uh, to guide, uh, the child to some sort of still greater triumph, you know, some still greater, greater satisfaction. And, you know, I think that there is, um, I, I think there's a sense, like I'm, I'm willing to, to, uh, bear with a lot of unpleasantness, for example, in, or a lot of difficulty, right? Like, for God's sake, I'm a, a Stuart Lee stan, right? Like, I, you know, that guy will just stand there and say the same word over and over for 20 minutes, right? Like, I'm, I'm willing to endure some pain, uh, if I feel like it's in service of something that is, uh, that is, you know, more important. And if I feel like I'm in, you know, uh, I'm in good hands. Um, yeah. does that do something for you? Sure. There's a particular, so there's a concept that I used to articulate because this this question comes up a lot when you do improv. And of course, improv is something I did for a very long time where there's an art to making a mistake. Right. And you've done this. You've performed in lots of improv shows yourself where it's fine to do something wrong that kind of screws up the show or doesn't match up. You know, a character forgets another character's name or where they are or walks through something that's supposed to be a table without realizing it. There's a way of playing off mistakes that allows the show to continue to move forward. And I would even say that there's more than one way to do it, but it is a necessary thing to be able to communicate to the audience that, that everything is okay, that, that you haven't been in some way compromised by this mistake. And so my theory as to why this is happening, and I'm sure other people have arrived at the same theory was that the audience is aware that the show is being performed at the very least on a subconscious level and so and I and, and I would think about this specifically with improv shows because it's such a big part of improv shows. But I would extend this concept to other kinds of performances, too, even to the point of things like TV and movies, where as an audience member, if you're savvy enough as to the fact that you're watching Artifice, you know that it is being performed by people. And so there is a meta story of whether the people who are doing it are going to succeed or fail in doing what it is that they are trying to do, as well as tracking and trying to figure out what it is that they're going to do. Mm. And I, I think that this concept, I don't think every audience member universally buys into this concept. I think it's a common concept and you can see it play out in various sorts of relationships, but the different audience members would react in a different way. But what I would, com what I would bring it up in reference to even is things like the Marvel Cinematic Universe where, okay, why do I care that a given character has shown up? in a different, different given property, right? Like I'm watching one movie a character from another movie shows up in that movie and there's like, yay. And there's the clapping and the cheering and stuff. Right. So there's a number of reasons why you might care. One might be, Oh, just the surprise and delight of seeing something that you don't expect. That might be one reason you, you know, this thing from before laughter is the response to the surprising and non-threatening. It shows up. It surprises you. That's a moment of delight. You're fond of it. Okay, great. You're happy that this thing happened. Another might be that, you attach yourself in some way to the overarching mythos of all of this and then having that reconfirmed for you as a bigger thing than the thing that you're just watching is itself a reassurance and it helps you in helps enrich the sense of this being an escapist fantasy or a fantasy of whatever other sort you're seeking to fantasize about another one might be 
that uh, that you um, you you uh, are are trying to figure out some sort of mystery, some sort of larger story. You're you're seeing it as a puzzle, and you want to figure out what's going to happen next, right? The sort of mystery box thing, and different little clues that show up that open up new possibilities create pleasure. But I think one concept really is you're rooting for if you are rooting for them to succeed, then when they do things that seem to reflect that this ship is being steered competently, then that is in and of itself a delightful experience as an audience member. And when they do things that are not indicating that the ship is being steered, that is not a delightful experience as an audience member. Uh, and I, one example I would give is Superman's mustache from the Justice League movie, right? It's <laughs> such a big deal that Superman had a photoshopped out mustache or whatever, right? After effects or or they used the Snapchat filter to get rid of his mustache, <laughs> whatever it was that they did. Uh, like, why is that? Why is that hit in such a visceral way for some people? And I think it might be because they they are rooting for these people to pull off this Justice League story. And when something happens that indicates that it's going poorly, that is a step back in the meta narrative of attempting to succeed at the show. Sure. And and so I would say that response is similar to lightness and darkness in if you transport yourself into a childlike appreciation of the, you know, the sinews at the boundaries, right? The sort of that sort of the thin lines around your around your appreciation of an experience. Uh, one of them might be. You know, are the people are the people holding the tent up, you know, or or is the tent going to collapse? Right. Um, so so yeah, I would identify with that. Well, there's also I mean, Freud talked about the, the Fort Daw game, right, where the like it's like a, a little wooden horse that's on a string and the, the kid can like throw it away and then pull it back and throw it away and comes to like understand, you know, through doing this like separation and kind of re reintegration or like separation mm-hmm. and like um what re you, you reunification of um you know of you with the, like the little the little toy and then of also like of you with the parents you know and and you with other people and so like the the kind of the the provision of people like making people appear and disappear you know which is the sort of the 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 magical realm of the parents like a, a sort of a, a thing that they have you know that the ability to do that like is is um, you know, so terrifying and, and so exciting is, you know, related to the, um, you know, related to the, the sort of thing that, that you're talking about. But Pete, what happens if the character comes and it's a completely different actor than the one you were expect? Oh no, put the box back in the garage. I'm put, it the back, crank, put it back I'm in the garage. The put the box okay, back, back in, in the, the garage. garage. Back in the garage. I mean, I meant, <laughs> I sort of, I, I mentioned Stuart Lee before because I, you know, he's never, he's never far from my mind, I suppose. But like one of the things, um, in the, the little bit, the routine of his that, that we did in our stand up comedy, uh, episode a while back, um, where the whole drama was that like he was trying to do a good job, like at the character, um, you know, at the level of the character, it kind of in world, if you will, the persona was like trying to do a good job of being a stand up comedian and yeah. could not because it, you know, it was going very badly because of a lot of things and like the kind of the, the progression of those things, you know, provided a lot of the comedy. And then also, you know, it gives, he sort of described his dramaturgy as like a dramaturgy of like struggle 
struggle and victory, um, which is which I you know I've heard described as like a particularly British the the kind of the comedy of struggle, the comedy of low status is a is British comedy, whereas the the comedy of um, of high status right is is American comedy, and that like it it allows for you know you and the audience to sort of win the night if you can kind of overcome all of these problems that have to do with with being a stand up yeah. comedian. I heard Stephen Fry say that. Um, on a YouTube video or something like that, say that like in Animal House, there's a scene uh, in in the frat house where John Belushi comes upon a folk singer singing like I gave my love a cherry that had, and he like takes his guitar and smashes it. Uh, and Stephen Fry says, now all the Americans, when you're thinking about being a comedy performer or when you're identifying with the character, all the Americans want to be John Belushi because they think that's funny. All the British people want to be the folk singer <laughs> because that's where that's where the you know sort of the the thing comes from. So yeah, it is. I mean, it is a potent element that you're you're sort of talking about is the like the the meta narrative of like are we you know is it is Werner Herzog going to win the meta game called making a movie? You know, yeah. <laughs> that like, and every time, you know, every time you go in, uh, every time you go in to, to see that, um, and I'm just thinking it's, of Mr. Bean now just <laughs> trying to do everything in his life and having so much difficulty getting the turkey stuck on his head. Right. Uh, I love Joe Wilkinson too. He does a, a number of that, a bunch of that stuff. Uh, oh man. Yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. Um, sorry. I just, I was just going down going down memory lane of British comedy performers who play that low status character who would just give a wonderful deadpan look at the camera after getting their, uh, their guitars smashed. That's uh that's delightful. That's lovely. Um, for sure, for sure, for sure. It's sorry. Sorry. I've, I'm, I'm getting carried away wistfully on these, uh, on, on the these me- notions. On the, yeah. And the re- the recollections of, uh, Here, you went, you mentioned childhood development. I had an interesting idea. Here. Uh. I think it's interesting. You will think it's interesting too. I guarantee it. <laughs> um, Object permanence in yeah. a blackout. Part of the thinking that happens in a blackout is because you have object permanence. This is I'm, I'm putting this forward as a as a notion, and I want to hear what you think about it. Because of your faculty for object permanence, you believe that all of the things that that are empowered or brought into being by artificial light are still there during a blackout, yeah. and you merely can't see them. <laughs> and and that comforts you right even if they kind of aren't <laughs> right like like does mario still exist in your nintendo cartridge that's if the so, power to run the nintendo is i working? totally think that's interesting right because of the different nature of the kinds of things that we're talking about of the kinds of like objects that we interact with and have very strong like feelings about and relationships with in you know in some sense and i guess like you know, who, who like uh, one of the, the British empiricists, was it Bishop Barclay who was like, you know, re- remembering a thing is tantamount to the thing existing. Um, so as long as Mario is alive in your heart, <laughs> Mario. Yeah. Wha- <laughs> <whoopee>! <laughs> That's his Mario. jubilation at uh, being velveteen rabbited by you, Matt. <laughs> is that right? Exactly. Like Mar- Mario may have, you know, been burned in a fire because he's full of bed bugs or, or typhoid or what, what, uh, Scarlet fever? What? What's the? Yeah, uh, scarlet fever for the okay. Velveteen Rabbit. Sorry, spoilers. I was trying to think what what illness would Mario be most likely to have as a plumber working on pipes? 
versus what illness does a imaginary stuffed rabbit have that causes it to be burned alive? Yeah, something like uh, some something like a, a scarlet ami- fever is the latter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like amoeba based, or you know, something having <laughs> to do with the you know the particular uh, you know, sanitary challenges of of the sewage that that he must encounter every day. Um, the yeah, that like um, but but it 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 gets more. I mean, it gets more interesting, you know, if you like, if you have, you know, have, if, if you have slid into, do, do all your Tinder matches exist? Right. Mm. If the power goes out, you know, or, uh, someone you have a completely virtual relationship with some, you know, some people, you know, which has happened for us on overthinking it. Like people over the years that we've been doing this have gotten in touch with us. And like we've had some substantial conversations with, a, with a number of people who we've never met in person. And like, does that, you know, does that exist? It be, when the access to it is completely blocked by, you know, it's, it's not like I could just feel my way around the kitchen table and get the little plastic pieces of the board game that I'm playing, right? Like my access to that is completely blocked under conditions of uh, of no electricity. Um, and so, uh, I mean, even if they exist, do they exist in any for any kind of reasonable purpose? Um, like having, you know, having it, uh, yeah, having it now when when so much, especially especially during COVID, right? Like when it's, I, you know, I feel like I wake up, I stare at the tiny screen for a few minutes, I you know get up, I go sit at the desk and look at the medium screen for a bunch of hours, and then I look at the big screen on the wall for you know a few that, that's hours not before. a screen it's just that's just the wall that's, huh. that's a that is a that is a poster from uh goodfellas oh that you had. oh god it's i my object permanence is so good i know i know it so well that i can play the whole film on the it's the steady cam shot i thought it was just a very steady cam shot so steady that it wasn't moving what i'm thinking about now as a weird little digression is uh did i share with you i was watching a bunch of lectures from the annual gaming development conferences postmortems on old video game development cycles huh. and a lot of them involve old arcade games and i know nothing prior or independently of what i'm talking to you about concerning the creation of arcade games but one thing that seemed to be the case in arcade games and you being more of the computer uh, uh expert than i am is that for a lot of them the sprites that they would use in the games, right? That whatever whatever the sort of images were that would be called up to be manipulated and moved on screen would be on a separate card, right? There would be a separate chip or a separate card that had the sprites coded into it, mm. and the game would have to go and get the sprites. And that there was a finite amount of space on that uh, to put the sprites up on the screen. Um, and that this this had something to do with how cartridges were were working or something along those lines. But but that if you that there was a time when you could take apart a Frogger machine and point to where the frog was yeah, yeah, if you really true. wanted to, that he existed discreetly in a space uh, that was large enough that was macroscopic. Uh, in, after a fashion, and that so that is something you've heard of. I'm not just making it up. Or, no, no, or, that's yeah, that's absolutely true. And the the amount of those things like. Um, games that allowed you to save and NES games anyway had a battery in the cartridge as right, well. Speaking right, right, of, yeah. of blackouts, right? And like that's when, true. So your Zelda game would still exist because of the battery, right? Although I guess if it were, if it were being something that is on what what sort of computer storage media can still be said to have your information on them when they have no power? 
I mean, I guess the question then is, is the ability to recall the information a, a necessary component of it existing? If there is some sort of processing that needs to happen in order for the information to become usable that can't be operated when there is no power, well, then that means none of it can be accessed. And uh, I, I guess philosophically, I, I'm, as a computer, more of a computer expert than I am, what would be your sort of initial thought on on that question? I'd say you, you got to buy an uninterruptible, uh, uninterruptible power supply, right? Like the... the- <laughs> When, when you, especially if you have spinning discs, like, uh, you know, a shutdown, an unexpected shutdown can be catastrophic and take it. What if your me. discs keep spinning after everything stops? Oh, wow. That's, that's, uh, <laughs> you just got to pimp my ride floppy disk drive. And you're like, you're mass, <laughs> you're, you're some kind of magical DJ. You know? I will <laughs> so, never not make pimp my ride jokes. And that is how you, you will, you'll be able to track my, my descent into the West. <laughs> I like how irrelevant my pimp my ride jokes become over time. Um, sorry. It's, I suppose, uh, I mean, I suppose if like, you know, if you think of like the, the big blackout being the power going off and then the kind of medium sized blackout being the lights going off and the, the, uh, the small blackout being like the computer disc stopping to spin and stuff, you could say, uh, yo dog, I heard you like blackouts. So I got some blackouts in your blackouts so that you can have blackouts during the blackout. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I don't remember anything you said. I just drank this entire handle of, uh, of vodka <laughs> and have blacked out. I'm just saying if you, if you're like me and you have a, a network attached storage thing with a you know a rate array to to have you know good backups and stuff do uh, two things one unless you have uh offsite redundant regularly rotated copies you have uh no backups because you know two is one and one is none and um and also get Wait a, what is that what is that truism Two is one and one is none. I think it comes from the army. It it has to do with like provisions, you know, if okay. you have, you know, if you have like two rolls of tape, you have one roll of tape. And if you have one roll of tape, you have none rolls of tape because like the number of things, there are things that could happen to render your roll of tape completely useless. Or uh, like gotcha. think of something like uh fasteners or something a little more, you know, critical, critical than that. Or like, uh, I don't know, a, a part that could break like two radios is one radio and one radio is none radios because of uh, the vulnerability to to um to that the other thing is get an uninterrupted uh uninterruptible power supply and make sure that you know it has enough battery that you can do a real uh shutdown of your of your nas before you um you know before the the power goes away entirely uh all right this has been tech tips with with matt and pete the <laughs> hottest tech podcast uh next next week we'll talk about uh atari video game cabinets and you know st- <laughs> no, we won't uh we won't do that hey pete i think the lights are back on so maybe we should uh oh. get back to get back to what we were doing um you know reset reset all the clocks uh on the appliances um because yes. all, all all the computers and and uh, handheld uh, portable computers with touchscreen interfaces they're all set over the internet, but the, you still you know your oven still thank God is not connected to the internet, and uh, you gotta you know fix up Lincoln Twelve. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> right, thanks very much for listening to Pete and me. And Pete, thanks very much for talking with me. We'll be back for more Overthinking It podcast next week. Till then, visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. deserve. Black and-